David McHale, Communication Specialist with the United Nations Capital Development Fund, and welcome to Capital Musings, the official podcast of the United Nations Capital Development Fund, USCDF. You can find our Capital Musings podcast on Apple, Spotify, and on our website, www.uncdf.org. Today, we are using this platform to cover a truly important topic for those who care about the finance for development agenda and for those who care about the achievement of the SDGs. And this topic is also tied to the release of a truly important publication. And I'm referring to the UN Handbook on Infrastructure Asset Management, Managing Infrastructure Assets for Sustainable Development, a handbook for local and national governments. Now, this handbook represents a significant contribution to the Financing for Sustainable Development agenda, advancing both thought leadership and action. It is a handbook that brings global visibility to infrastructure asset management as a critical high-impact area for investing in local capacities to mobilize and manage financing for sustainable development, including in emergencies. And this is a publication that couldn't be more timely given the unprecedented crisis that is the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, for our listeners, the obvious question may be, besides what is infrastructure asset management, how and why is this important to the financing for development, the sustainable development agenda? And answering that question is precisely why we have this podcast today, and we have four outstanding guests who are going to help us arrive at the answer to that important question. We have Daniel Platts. He's the lead for infrastructure asset management with the Financing for Development Office at UNDESA. We have Dr. Linda Newton. She is a consultant to the UN on Asset Management. We have Joelle Mundia who's the lead specialist on governance with the United Nations Capital Development Fund. And we have Jaffer Machado, global program manager for municipal finance with UNCDF. So truly we have a robust panel to offer the answer to these questions in a variety of different ways and contexts. So couldn't be more grateful to, again, to have this panel with us today. And Daniel, I'll start with you. And first off, let me say congratulations to you, congratulations to UNDESA, and congratulations to UNCDF. This is a joint publication that was, in fact, just released, and again, really a signature flagship publication for both UNDESA and UNCDF. So congratulations on what will be not just an important publication, but clearly a great tool for local and central governments. So Daniel, going to start with you. And maybe let's just start off simply for those who don't immerse their days in infrastructure assets or asset management. Let's just start simple. What are assets? And frankly, why should we care about them? So Daniel, please. Thank you so much, David, for your really very kind words and congratulating also us to this joint release of this handbook. It's been a long time in the making and it's a truly collaborative effort of experts across the UN system and also outside the UN system that work on asset management. What are assets? Very good question. And I'm not sure there's one accepted, like with so many other things, there's one accepted definition out there. Rather, it depends on the context. But I think people can agree that assets are things of value to a person or organization or a community. And when we talk about assets in the context of local and national governments, 
And we talk about things of value to the community and that are not only just there, but that are managed or owned by the local government or by a national government. So let's stay with local governments and look at a small town in Uganda or in Tanzania or in Bangladesh, one of our pilot countries for this project that fed into the handbook. And a typical asset there are roads, water and sanitation systems, landfill, street lighting, ports. So these are all assets, things of value that are owned by the local government, but that serve the community. And managing those assets is really the coordinated series of activities that monitor and maintain things of value. So in our case here, I'm sticking to the example of, let's say, roads, right? What does the local government do? Well, local government not only builds the road and puts it in place, but it needs to make sure it is well maintained over its lifespan. Everyone can relate to bad roads, I think. We have them all across the globe. And these are often roads that are not managed well. They have potholes. They become eroded. Sometimes whole pieces break off. And that's, of course, very, very dangerous for the community. So just a few examples of what assets are. And then the idea of managing those assets really is the coordinated set of activities that requires that asset to serve its purpose to the community. Thank you so much for that. I mean, the instant you say that, it's clear that this is such a critical part of the financing for development agenda, and yet it it probably doesn't get as much notice as it needs, which is, again, why I think this publication is so essential. And I guess in that regard, since we're talking about the publication, what was the motivation behind creating it? And I say this given... Again, for those who who really do follow this agenda closely, and particularly the UN, then you'd be aware that we are in the quote-unquote decade of implementation to achieve the sustainable development goals. And the UN has launched this decade of action last year, basically to create a timeline where we would achieve the SDGs by 2030. So obviously, there was this sense of urgency that the UN wanted to create, but Having said that, what was the motivation, particularly from your standpoint of the office that you work in and oversee, to create this publication? Thank you, David, for this question. You're absolutely right. This issue is of enormous importance to the Financing for Sustainable Development Agenda. And the reason is that not enough attention has been paid to the fact that all these investments that go into the SDGs need to be there for the long term. You cannot just talk about the millions or billions of trillions of dollars that are needed to invest into infrastructure without thinking about maintaining the infrastructure, ensuring its resilience, and ensuring that those investments serve the community over their lifespan. And so we thought there was a gap. And the way it came about really was quite organically from a collaboration that we already had between UNDESA and UNCDF. And the beauty of our collaboration is that we're very complementary. So UNDESA works very much in the space of analysis, research, norm setting, which means working closely with governments, helping them negotiate agreements like the Sustainable Development Goals or the Addis Ababa Action Agenda. But we don't really go into the field all that much in DESA. We do it. That's my job in the office when it comes to infrastructure asset management. 
but we do not have field offices like UNCDF has. And UNCDF has this really direct link to what's happening in the field. And they really help us implement the research, the analysis, the norms that are organically growing in the UN system. And we've done that for quite a long time on different issues, but mostly on issues of municipal finance and economic development. And so about three or four years ago, I just sat down and had a coffee with my colleagues at UNCDF. And we were looking at the agenda and we were looking at what is missing, where are gaps and where can we really make a genuine contribution to the debate. And asset management always came up. It's always something that you see when you go into the field, there's not enough thought put into asset management and the idea of making sure those humongous investments that go into infrastructure really serve their purpose for the long haul. So out of that, we really started doing work in the field together. And we really came up with the help of Linda, who you will speak to in a second. With the help of Linda, who is a renowned expert on this, we developed some simple tools at first, diagnose the problem to survey people to ensure we fully understand what is done and what is not done, done in the area of asset management. And we did develop these tools and we went into the field in Tanzania, in Uganda, in Bangladesh, in Nepal, and we tested various tools on asset management for quite some time and were really quite impactful, I would say. And we grew the number of local governments that we've worked with from about nine or 10 to 40 over the span of maybe two and a half years or so. And then we thought, this is not only important to those four LDCs, this is a global issue. And how can we capture the good lessons and the best practices of our work in the field and make sure we share those lessons with the rest of the world? And this is how the handbook came about. It took us over a year or so, but we're very relieved and very happy it's finally out. That's really a great point. I just want to emphasize one of the points you made about filling the gap that you mentioned that's being filled with this report, because we talk so much about the financing gap. And I think to the point that you're making, what we also need to talk about is not just how do we fill the financing gap, but how do we optimize that capital once that gap has been filled? And I think this is clearly a huge step in terms of filling, again, the gap that you mentioned, because we're talking about uh, thoughtful research and analysis that is supported by work on the ground. So to your point, we're definitely looking forward to connecting with Linda and Joelle, who will give us the view from the ground. I do want to quickly level set and start and remain in a bit more of the general space to unpack this concept a little more. And I'd like to turn to Joffer and just for us to get a bit more practical before we get into how infrastructure asset management can be a driver of development at the ground level. So Joffer, just again, at a practical level, just talk about the difference between what makes for good asset management and what makes for bad asset management. Thank you, David, and thank you for inviting me to be part of this really good expert conversation. I'll say that the major difference is the capability on the ground where local governments able to plan, design, and deliver a specific infrastructure and then maintain it over the useful life. And I think Daniel is correct. The maintenance piece is always the one which gets forgotten, and it's quite expensive. And then to be able to deal with that infrastructure at the end of its useful life, what do you do with it? 
So that cycle is what the capabilities of managing that cycle is what differentiate between a good system in place and the one which not having. And I will say, really, the difference then it's felt because we are talking about local governments, it's felt from its citizens when they can or cannot access service delivery from the local government because of the lack of that infrastructure, whether the infrastructure is there and it wasn't maintained and hence the service cannot be delivered. And here we are talking literally water and network of water connection from municipal to the houses. The difference of it being there or not being there, it's actually really huge, but you can have the water network and then water doesn't come out of the tap in the house. So how the asset is managed, and this is the main part of this publication, I think makes a huge difference to the end consumer. No, thank you for that. I mean, and you already touched on challenges, which leads to the next question, which is just If you wouldn't mind just outlining what are the main challenges that in particularly local governments face when it comes to infrastructure asset management. So for a long time, challenge was seen as lack of proper budgeting for maintenance. So it was very common for governments, local governments to build roads and then to see that road is deteriorating year after year with potholes and all the rains come in and the issues are there and everybody is seeing it and nothing is being done, right? So the main challenge is not just to be able to plan and deliver it, is to actually have a financial system or a system in place that gives you that periodic way of looking at your assets without necessarily having the deterioration or that idea of expansion of saying, based on this number of people, then we will expand this particular infrastructure. So the difference between knowing and not knowing or the difference between the capacity to do that within the local government, because many local governments in developing countries, they actually know this. They just don't have the capacity. So I will say those two are the main challenges is the capacity within the local government. And second is the knowledge to be able to do it right. I think that's such a great segue to Dr. Newton, given her expertise in the area of infrastructure asset management. Linda, I'd love to, now that we've gone from a discussion about assets, we started this conversation literally with the question of what are assets? We've gotten into the concept of management. We've then discussed the nature of the challenges. Let's now get particularly specific And let's look at infrastructure asset management through a thematic lens. I think, or I would hope, that if there is a critical challenge that truly unifies the globe, obviously separate from confronting the COVID-19 pandemic, it would be climate change. So if you wouldn't mind, just let's start there. Talk to us about an example that you've seen or the connection that you've seen in the field between infrastructure asset management and the effort to confront climate change. Thanks, David. And again, thank you for bringing me as part of this panel. And you can call me Linda, that's just fine. A lot of issues in the past year and climate change in some ways has been knocked off the front page by the pandemic, but you're right. It's an issue that we're all facing and it's sort of one that's subtly started to catch up with us, but now it's front and foremost. And flooding to me is the biggest example that I've seen when I've been in the field because 
it's one everybody can relate to. It doesn't matter what part of the country you're in. Even if you're in a country of drought and you're near a river, you experience flooding. And I think what really came home to me was when I was flying into Bangladesh about a year and a half ago now, where we were going to do our Bangladesh workshop. And at first I thought I was seeing rice paddies. And then I realized I wasn't. It was flooding through the fields coming into Dhaka. And it wasn't even monsoon season yet. And there was flooding. And so the challenges we have when we start to look at something like flooding is in the past, there was the one in the hundred year flood. But countries like Bangladesh experience flooding all the time. So it's only going to get worse. So this shouldn't be new to us, yet it seems like it is. So we have to start to think about how do we plan for the future? How can we make infrastructure resilient? You know, this is an opportunity in the case in many countries where infrastructure is coming towards its midlife rehabilitation or perhaps the end of its life. And so rather than build back with the same thing, the term build back better has really become a buzz phrase lately. And that's what we've got to do. And there's a role for local governments to play. And hopefully Joe will touch on this too, to push back and say, don't just give us money to build the same, give us, help us with funding to build back better and to maintain in the event that we have increased flooding beyond that 100 year event or that 10 year event. And it doesn't matter whether you are Bangladesh, Nepal, it's an issue because of flooding coming from melting snow that is in the mountains and off the glaciers and wiping out villages. So maybe we need to be thinking about relocation. And this is huge. So it's not just about building a building better, but it's looking at perhaps where communities live and do they need to be relocated? And that in itself is a huge exercise. It totally is. And those are powerful narratives that you present to us. And I know that from the UNCDF vantage point, I know that when we talk about our work in climate resilience, one of the messages we constantly try to impress upon our stakeholders and others is that everyone has to accept the reality that climate-based challenges and climate-based disasters are not going away. We can't wish that they'll happen with less frequency. We can't wish that they'll just kind of disappear from the earth. In fact, they're going to be a normal part of just global human existence. And so we have to be proactive about how to create resilient systems. And clearly, infrastructure asset management is one of those things. So definitely something that, again, we've seen from the standpoint of UNCDF, and clearly you've seen as an expert in the field. I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing either a regional or a district or country-based example, just to get more concrete in terms of seeing this work on the ground? In terms of climate change or asset management in general? Whichever is the more suitable example. Okay, well, I think asset management in general, because I thought about this, is there a specific country that I could go to and say, this is a shining light, this is a beacon everyone should follow? And if there wasn't a country, was there a municipality? And there isn't one that you can say they've done this in the past five years. I think We look at Australia and New Zealand as being at the forefront of this, and it's taken them 30 years to get to this point where asset management is truly entrenched in what they do with their physical infrastructure. And South Africa went down this path starting about 10 years ago and did a great job with the policies and creating a National Asset Management Act, and they're one of the few countries to have one. And then it seems to stop there. Uganda now is creating a National Asset Management Policy. And so the things I've learned from the field is that it comes back to some of the challenges and linking those to the benefits that that Jaffer and Daniel spoke about earlier. Everybody struggles with getting that policy into reality and into making it happen. But what does it mean so that it's something that an individual at the lowest level can understand? And so Jaffer spoke about awareness and knowledge. And that is true because the policy gets written. But what does that mean to someone on the ground? 
So can they see themselves in those assets? Do they understand the value of those assets? And so the organizations, and typically the smaller a country or the smaller a municipality, the easier it is for them to do that. And if I use a sailing analogy or a cycling analogy, it's easier to turn something small around than it is a great big ship. And so it's not enough to, to put that policy in paper. You've got to have those actions. An example came to my mind. I, I was talking with a friend the other day. I use a couple of cities that have great structures in place. And I'll, I'll leave their names out of it. But I said, you guys have an amazing asset management framework. She said, I know nothing about it. She is an engineer working at the water treatment plant, but cannot relate to what that framework looks like. And yet you look at it and it's exceptional. I mean, it's one of the frameworks we model in our book in that you have these three pillars of asset management, knowing your demand, knowing how to manage for the life cycle, and then the financial element. And at the top, so that you want to use the analogy of a stool, the top of that stool is your policy. So everything is supporting everything. And so then I think, well, why is that? So we talk about having an asset management champion, and it's very important that senior management are able to do that, and they're championing asset management. So one of the great things in Uganda is that it looks like this concept of this asset management champion is going to be pushed forward right down to all the local levels. And in our other countries as well, that's the one thing we've really, really encouraged them to do is it has to be active. It's not something you write about and you put it on the shelf. We've got a strategic asset management plan. Isn't that great? Pat ourselves on the back. So I think it's part of that is making the individuals understand why we're doing asset management, but also why we have those assets. We all understand why we have a car, why we have to look after our car. So that type of mindset has to come all the way from the top down to the bottom. So when you look at case studies, so these are the sorts of things we look at and the successful countries, the successful municipalities are where you see that, where someone who is working on repairing the ambulance, understands why that's important and how that ambulance fits in the bigger picture. Or someone that is on the road maintenance understands why that road is so important. They don't need to know the national philosophy and the national strategy, but they need to understand that that road gets goods to market and their role in that is important. First off, thank you. And I can't imagine a better segue to go to Joel because, Linda, what I'm hearing from you to a large extent is really about buy-in. And it's Mm -hmm. about how to garner, how to cultivate, how to acquire buy-in from government partners, particularly buy-in into infrastructure asset management. So, Joel, and just for our listeners, Joel is speaking to us from Kampala. He's not only our lead specialist in governance, but he works in UNCDF's largest in-country presence in Uganda. And so insofar as dealing directly with government officials, there are few, if any, within UNCDF that are better at it or more experienced than Joel. So I actually would love to ask a couple of questions to you specifically on that focus. And just at a professional and a human-to-human level, how do you get government officials to care about asset management? How do you get them to buy in to asset management in order to mainstream it into their budgeting and planning? Thank you, David, for the nice and kind uh, introduction and for allowing me to participate in this honorable panel. Great question. If you reviewed um, a new plan, a new budget or a budget framework paper for any country or any local government in LDCs, you'll observe one thing, that at least 80% of the investments 
going towards asset acquisition. And here we're talking of infrastructure asset acquisition. And this cuts across. And so huge amounts are invested in infrastructure asset acquisitions in these countries. And here in Uganda, no different. And both at national level and sub-national level, huge, huge investments. Now, you visit any of these cities or sub-nationals at national level, what are you greeted with? You're greeted with assets where heavy investments have been put in. The roads full of potholes, vehicles packed in the yard for years with minor repair issues. You're faced with stores which are manually managed and you want if it's a store or assets. You're faced with the fact that some even do not know the land that belongs to them because there's no land registrar and it's not well documented. You're faced with the fact that the registrars are incomplete and not updated. So this is the environment you are faced with when you visit a subnational in an LDC in Uganda. Now, let me say thanks to this is changing because this has been a trend for some time, but thanks to this support that there is a change. But now, how are we getting this change happening? How are we getting the subnationals and the local leaders appreciate this? One, of course, as colleagues have said, relating these heavy investments to service delivery and the efforts to walk people out of poverty. We directly compute and help them realize this fact. So one thing you also notice is that while heavy investments are made in this, there's no strategy or plan for maintaining these assets. Where they exist, they are really not being followed. The practice is really, really contrary. So we work with them for the case of Uganda, Tanzania, these countries, to develop asset management strategies, the plans at that level. For Uganda, they've gone ahead to develop a policy at a national level and guidelines at a national level. Now, these were non-existent, and I don't think many LDCs have taken this path. It's very few countries, as Linda noted. It used to be only South Africa with an act. So it's coming up with these plans and uh, policies and not only coming out the plans, but ensuring they integrated into their five-year development plans and annual budgets, the support we give them to, to ensure that there's implementation of their asset management plans. The other challenge that we saw and we faced was that, yes, the plan is there. Yes, the strategies are there. We've helped walk the journey with them. But there is no adequate finances. They are not allocating enough finances for operations and maintenance and leave alone upgrading because assets along the way will require upgrading for them to fully realize their service life. But not enough is budgeted for. And so we have critically worked with them, one, to ensure that, yes, by integrating it into their annual plans and budgets that they are budgeted for, though not yet adequate, but they are budgeted for, one. Then two, local governments, for the case of Uganda, receive grants from government, performance-based grants. So we also ensured that a critical indicator on asset management is a part of the national assessment system so that we tag asset management to grants. And, and so just a uh, bit of carrot and stick there to incentivize implementation of the plans. And so the challenge of capacity building is the other thing we, we, we are faced with and we saw. And so we just like, and that's how this handbook came in, uh, working with DESA and UNCDF built capacity, sub-national and the national government staff through trainings and through practical hands-on support for a long period of time. And they support actually not only for technical people, but we also looked at, at the political cadres. And we made sure the political has owned this agenda 
and they brought the plight of asset management to them so that they take leaders, provide the leadership and they take leadership and take it as their own and take this as one of the key things they supervise at that level. So David, there is a lot that we're doing in this area to improve the status quo, but just to mention a few of those. Thank you. And and maybe just one more follow-up on that, because obviously when we talk about, I think one of the points of infrastructure asset management is that it can obviously serve to be a driver. I mean, we've been talking about it as a driver of development and a driver of presumably sustainable economic growth and for developing countries as a whole, not just for LDCs. So if you were, I guess, Joel, let's say hypothetically, you were talking with an official and you needed to make the macroeconomic case, the case for how infrastructure asset management can make the lives of their constituents better, what would you say? Thank you, David. I think one thing which is true is that infrastructure assets make a great contribution to improving quality of life of citizens in any country. Why? Because they directly support delivery of services. They directly bring about economic growth. They directly help fight poverty. Now, many LDCs are struggling to graduate to middle income. Those in middle income are struggling to graduate. Now, this whole process, the graduation process, infrastructure asset management plays a key, key, key role. If we were to pick a few indicators like human assets, the need for improved literacy, enrollment. Here we are talking directly about school infrastructure. Here we are talking directly about health infrastructure. If you are to talk about income and poverty, you're talking directly about roads and dams and irrigation systems, markets, water. If you are to talk about the ability of all subnationals and the country to adapt to vulnerabilities or shocks, you're talking of assets. We recently we are faced with the COVID country and many of these countries in Africa, actually globally, had to respond to COVID, is when we realized asset management, the value of asset management, when we needed ambulances, when we, need, we needed the hospital beds, when we needed the hospital rooms operational, is when the country realized the value of proper asset management. So if countries to, for the case of Uganda, if we are to graduate from LDC to middle income, infrastructure asset management plays a very, very key role because it directly contributes to us improving our per capita gross national income. Thank you. And it is frankly, sadly, uh, sad, unfortunate that there is that dramatic need for infrastructure asset management precisely because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But again, to the point, if you want to deal with resilience, sustainability, growth, your fundamental, and this brings us back really to the beginning of the conversation, you're talking about assets and the assets are all around us, but they play this critical role in our day-to-day existence. Frankly, we could, I could spend so much more time talking about this. It's an important subject that frankly does not get discussed enough, which is why, again, it is really important and exciting that this publication has been released. Managing Infrastructure Assets for Sustainable Development, a handbook for local and national governments. This is a joint publication of UNDESA and UNCDF. And again, congratulations to UNDESA and UNCDF. And thank you to everyone uh, on the panel for joining us today. Daniel Platt, a lead of infrastructure asset management in the Finance for Development Office with UNDESA. Dr. Linda Newton, consultant to the UN on asset management and an expert on asset management. Joel, lead specialist on governance for UNCDF. And Jaffa Machano, global program manager for municipal finance and at UNCDF. 
Capital Musings is a production of the Partnerships Policy and Communications Office at the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Thank you for joining us. And once again, you can find this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and on our website, www.uncdf.org. Thank you.